that this is recording. Recording. Okay, there you go. That's good. That will work. Stick that in my pocket there on the side, right here. Here you can. Right there, yeah. I'm doing it. Okay, there you go. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, adada khalqih, wa zinata arshih, wa kamala kalimatih. يا ربي لك الحمد في الأولى والآخرة ولك الحمد في السراء والضراء ولك الحمد على كل حال وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له أنزل علينا قرآنا أنزل علينا هدى أنزل علينا نورا ومن لم يجعل الله له نورا فما له من نور وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا ووليينا محمدا صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم عبده ورسوله وصفيه وخليله وما كان الله ليعذبهم وأنت فيهم وما كان الله معذبهم وهم يستغفرون من يطع الله ورسوله وقلي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يضل أبدا ومن يعصي الله ورسوله وأولي الأمر من المؤمنين فلا يهدى أبدا ومن يعتصم بالله فقد هدي إلى صراط مستقيم Dear brothers and sisters Dear committed Muslims Ayyuhal Mu'minun Sometimes it feels like we cover a certain subject and we are forced to return to it because of the realities that we are facing as Muslims in the world. One of these painful realities is the division among Muslims. We seem to be incapable of closing ranks and working on a common objective, all of us, all together. And the ayah in the Qur'an that is mentioned many times in this context, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اتَّقُوا اللَّهَ حَقَّ تُقَاتِهِ 
ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون واعتصموا بحبل الله جميعا ولا تفرقوا واذكروا نعمة الله عليكم إذ كنتم أعداء فألف بين قلوبكم فأصبحتم بنعمته إخوانا وكنتم على شفا حفرة من النار فأنقذكم منها كذلك يبين الله لكم آياته لعلكم تهتدون This ayah or these couple of ayat in their details they make it a wajib a fard an obligation a mandatory responsibility for us to be united together locking hearts and hands Notice in the ayah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins by saying Be vigilant concerning Allah's power presence as is due to Him why is the issue of اعتصموا بحبل الله جميعا ولا تفرقوا All of you hold together unto Allah's means and do not be divided. Why is that sentence preceded by اتقوا الله حق تقاته Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his infinite knowledge knows that our division if we are going to be divided it's a matter that has to do with power. When we in our heart of hearts when we are conscious and aware that when it comes to the issue of power, it is Allah who has the power, nothing and no one else. Period. That's final. But when some Muslims begin to think or convince themselves that their power comes from somewhere else, then that is going to become a, contrib a contribution to divisions among Muslims. And that's, that explains what is happening today. When Muslims meet, there's no divisive issue. In the, I'm talking about average Muslims. I'm not talking about diseased individuals. When average Muslims meet, there's nothing inside of them 
There's nothing that they can go to the Qur'an or to the Prophet that say, I have to stay at a distance from the other Muslim. Nothing. So where did all of this come from? It came from people who are in power, meaning worldly power. They have militaries, they have military industries, they have wealth, they have wherewithal. And those who don't have it, but who are seeking it in the worldly sense. They don't have power. Where do they get power? They don't want to ask Allah for power. So they go and they beg for power in the power capitals of the world. Our division comes from these figures and from those establishments. That's where our division comes from. It doesn't come from an ayah. It doesn't come from a hadith. And one of the major divisive issues that we now are burdened with is the issue of, and this one, the dynasties and the institution, the power institutions of the world are working on, is the Sunni Shi'a thing. One Muslim meets another Muslim, doesn't know him or her, and in the back of their mind, because of the information now that is spread all over, there's a question mark. Is the person I'm speaking to a Sunni or a Shi'i? This is, this is how powerful the establishments who are working against the Muslims, this is how powerful they are. Their power is not in the material means that they have. The power is in their infiltrating. They penetrated our internal thoughts. They dug themselves deep down inside our psychology. And we, because there's no immunity, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us this immunity. Ya If we were vigilant about Allah's power, avoiding His power for justice in this world, we wouldn't be going around, and I don't mean we, you and me, those who have Islamic titles and has, have Islamic imagery, when they go around begging for power from the superpowers of the world, they haven't, they, they haven't absorbed the meanings of these ayat. Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu taqu allaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimoon wa'atasimu bihablillahi jami'an wa la tafarraqu We all hold on to the means given to us by Allah and the sentence didn't end there. It says, وَلَا تَفَرَّقُوا And don't be divided. This is a clear ayah in the Qur'an which takes precedent over all the nawafil, over all the sunan, over all of the supererogatory 
tasks that a person may want to do. That's more important. That's more important than Salat al-Watr. That is more important than the nawafil of the Salah. It is more important than the nawafil of the Siyam. It's more important than all of the nawafil that we know of. Because it is a direct order from Allah Jalla wa'ala. A'tasimu bihablillahi jami'an wa la tafarraq. Now, if we take this understanding, you understand there's nothing here challenging our ability to understand this. When we take this understanding, we look at today's world. Muslims, the average Muslim, is preoccupied with the rituals of Islam. Issues of power and justice don't figure in. And this Umawi understanding of Islam, this is an Umawi understanding. It's not a prophetic understanding of Islam. This is an Umawi. How, how is it? How do people in power, how do they distract their citizens from the real issues? They get them involved in trivial issues. This happens in the real world here, and we have 14 centuries of it. We come down to our time, and one of the major demonstrations of this is people who elevate the hadith, they they raise the level of the hadith, and then they bring down the level of the Qur'an and the ayat. This is... This is a fact of life. And when we, we've been speaking about the hadiths, and I, I try as much as possible, because th- we can say things like this in general, but if we are not specific, and if we don't cite some examples of what we mean, then it's left up, the idea is left up in the ether. So, for the sake of being specific, we take a hadith. I don't know if I've used these hadiths before. If I did, it's refreshing your memory. But this is a concrete example of how statements that are thought to be hadiths or that are inherited as hadiths almost undo the meanings of the Qur'an. One of the hadiths, and I'm, I'm using the hadith here for those who live in the Umawi burden of time. There are others who are living in a Safawi burden of time. I'm not speaking to them at this point. They need someone to speak to them, to get them out of their Safawi coma. Just like there are Muslims in an Umawi coma, they need to get out of it. There are others in another coma and they need to get out of it also. So this khutbah is dedicated to those who are living under centuries of institutionalized trivia that pass as hadith. Now, this is the example, one of the examples. 
a hadith in the Sahih books says, إِنَّ الْمَيْتَ يُعَذَّبُ بِبُكَاءِ أَهْلِهِ عَلَيْهِ This become a divisive issue. It's a hadith and it divides Muslims. What, what's the meaning of this hadith? It says, Surely a deceased person will suffer or will be tormented due to his folks or his family crying for him or for her, who right now is six feet under. You go on occasions when you may go to a funeral, to an Islamic burial, you'll see some individuals who may be crying for the deceased because they loved him or her, relatives of him or her, very intimate with him or her in their in life before death, before the deceased died. So the hadith here says that these people who are crying are going to be punished with pain. I'm sorry. The person who is deceased is going to be punished because those who are cry- because of those who are crying for him or for her. This, with a little more investigation, this is what's needs, some investigation. There's a statement attributed to Umm al-Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha. She says, when she heard this, being at this statement, being attributed to the Prophet, she said, إِنَّكُمْ لَتُحَدِّثُونَ عَنْ غَيْرِ كَاذِبِينَ you are relating a hadith from persons who are not liars. And for your information, this hadith was related in the books of hadith by Omar and Ibn Omar and others. So she's not saying that the, the persons who are relaying the hadith about the Prophet or from the Prophet, she's not saying they are liars. They are not fabricating things. But sometimes people mishear things. Wallahi, by Allah, ma haddatha Rasulullah, the Messenger of Allah, did not converse and say, يُعَذَّبْ المؤمن بِبُكَاءِ أَهْلِهِ عَلَيْهِ That a committed Muslim is going to be tormented because of his family crying for him or for her. وَقَالَتْ حَسْبُكُمُ الْقُرْآنِ The Qur'an should be enough for you. She, she referred the issue to the Qur'an. The Qur'an is enough. Okay. What does the Qur'an say? There's an ayah in the Qur'an that says, وَلَا تَزِرُ وَازِرَةٌ وِزْرَ أُخْرَى There is no one who carries the burden of any other person. So how come this person, who right now is six feet under, how come he's carrying the burden of what these relatives are doing outside of the grave and care and crying for him? There's a conflict in meaning between this, quote-unquote, 
hadith and the ayah in the Quran that everyone knows. Wala taziru waziratun wizra ukhra. Wama kunna muadhibina hatta nabatha rasula. The end of the. So, what do you do when you find there's a hadith that has a certain meaning? And which is no, there's nothing ambiguous about the meaning here. And there's an ayah or ayat in the Quran that have certain meanings that are very clear. You, we encounter something like this. The Quran is final. All the Muslims agree to this fact. We say, no, we are following and understanding and absorbing what the Quran is telling us. And if there's any other statement attributed to Allah's Prophet, and whatever Allah's Prophet says is mandatory upon us, but whatever people fabricate and attribute to Allah's Prophet, we have nothing to do with. Because Allah's Prophet is not going to be contradicting the Quran. In another narration of this same hadith, Aisha is correcting them and saying, إِنَّهُ لَيُعَذَّبُ بِخَطِيئَتِهِ وَذَنْبِهِ وَإِنَّ أَهْلَهُ لَيَبْكُونَ عَلَيْهِ She said another understanding is that there may be a person who in in the grave, now he's buried or she's buried, who feel a torment because of what they did in the world. Their sins, their crimes, whatever. Because of that. Not because his family is crying. And then there's another. If you want more, there's another adjustment to this meaning that is taken out of context and has become an issue in Muslim cemeteries. You have some Muslims going and they express their emotions toward, it could be their father, their uncle, their cousin, their brother, their sister, their son, whoever has de- their clothes. It's only a, the fitra. A man's state of nature has to express itself. So we see some Muslims say, no, you can't do that. You want to do this? Go away. Leave this place. Why? Does this make any sense? So in another adjustment of this meaning, Aisha says, Ibn Omar, who relayed the hadith, one of the narrators of of the hadith he was not saying something that is a lie innahu lam yakdhib that those are her words walakinnahu nasiya aw akhta he may have forgotten or he made a mistake inna rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam this is another occasion. After the battle of Badr, I have to explain this to get to the meaning of, of this. After the battle of Badr, the mushriks who had fallen in the battle of Badr, they're dead. So the Prophet goes up to them 
and he speaks to them. These are, these are dead people. These are corpses on the battlefield. And the Muslims are around the Prophet, they're listening to him, and some of them are sort of surprised. I mean, you're speaking to dead people? These are not alive. Are you speaking to... So this is the, this is the context in which Aisha is speaking. She said, Inna Rasulallahi qama ala al-qaleeb that's the area in which these mushriks, these mushrik bodies were on the ground. Wafihi qatla badr, the casualties of badr, min al mushrikin, who are mushriks. So the Prophet said, Innahum layasma'una ma aqul. They now, they are listening to what I am saying or to what I say. They are listening to what I say. She said, Aisha said, Innama qal, rather, he, the Prophet said, Innahum al-ana ya'lamuna ma kuntu aqulu lahum. Haq. Now, they are listening they are tuning in and realizing what I was saying to them is haq, is the truth. And then she quoted the ayah in the Quran, إِنَّكَ لَا تُسْمِعُ الْمَوْتَى وَمَا أَنْتَ بِمُسْمِعٍ مَنْ فِي الْقُبُورِ The ayah says, certainly, you cannot have the deceased listen to you. And you cannot reach with your words and your expressions those who are already dead. An ayah in the Quran. Once again, what do you do when you have an ayah that says one thing? And we all know the ayat are final. They are authentic. There's no doubt about them. But on the other hand, we know we have the, this whole volume of hadiths in the hundreds of thousands. Some of them are authentic and true and binding upon us. And others are contrary to the meanings of the Quran. The same thing, and the reason I mention this is because it's a, an issue of division among the Muslims. And sometimes we can notice it when we go to the cemetery. Why should we be divided when the Quran and Allah and the Prophet want us to come together and be with each other? There's another issue that, alhamdulillah, the division that once was is no longer there. There's a potential for it to, to flare up again, but it, it sort of doesn't exist in our time. And that has to do with the Prophet when he went in, in his Isra and Mi'raj from Mecca to Al-Quds and then from Al-Quds to the end of existence, so to speak. In this narrative, which is in the books of Hadith, 
there's and no one's taking issue with the Isra and Ma'raj. It's a fact, a Quranic fact, a historical fact, a prophetic fact. But in the narrative here, when someone is recounting the details of the Isra and Ma'raj, there's an area there in which it is said that the Prophet saw his sustainer, meaning Allah Azza wa Jal. The Prophet saw him. This issue of did the Prophet see him or did he not see him became an issue that divided the Muslims. There were serious divisions because of that. Alhamdulillah, as we said, these divisions now are not among us. But what we find in these books, a person by the name of Amr ibn Masruq came to Aisha. And uh, when I'm mentioning this, and uh, when a person reads the Hadith literature with an open mind, and you see a certain amount, maybe in the hundreds of quotations, by from the Prophet coming from Aisha radiallahu anha. And you barely, if any, if ever you see any hadith coming from Fatima, the Prophet's daughter, salamullahi alayha. You don't see any of that. Something, something is going on here in the way these hadiths, number one, were collected, Number two, the way they were distributed or promoted. And number three, the way they are taught. A passing observation. So this person, this by the name Amr ibn Masruq, asks when this information about the Prophet in the Isra al-Ma'raj, he says, Ya Amatah. It's an expression of honor and respect. He says to her, هَلْ رَأَى مُحَمَّدٌ رَبَّهِ Did Muhammad see his sustainer? فَقَالَتْ لَقَدْ قَفَّ شَعْرِ مِمَّا قُلْتْ It's like my hair is standing because of what you are saying. Where are you from three issues? مَنْ أَنْتَ مِنْ ثَلَاثِ مَنْ حَدَّثَكُمْ كَذِبْ Whoever spoke to you wasn't saying the truth. And in the riwayah of Muslim, this is Bukhari's riwayah, in the riwayah of Muslim, he says, فَقَدْ أَعْضَمَ عَلَى اللَّهِ فِرْيَةً Which means, whoever said such a thing has attributed a very significant fabrication to Allah. مَنْ حَدَّثَكَ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَأَى رَبَّهُ فَقَدْ كَذِبُ Whoever told you that Muhammad saw his sustainer is not telling the truth. And then she quotes the Qur'an. لَا تُدْرِكُهُ الْأَبْصَارِ وَهُوَ يُدْرِكُ الْأَبْصَارِ Human vision cannot apprehend him or comprehend him. But he, meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
can see and can comprehend and apprehend all the others who have visions, meaning we the humans. Allah is very subtle. Latif means subtle in this context. And then she there's another quote Wama Kanali Basharin and Yukalimahu Lahu illa wahyan aw miwara hijab. And then she goes on to two other issues. Whoever tells you that they know the future is not telling the truth. And then she quotes Wama Tedri Nafsum Mada Taksibu Gada. And then whoever tells you that the Prophet did not disclose all the information that he got is not telling the truth. And then she quotes the ayah, Ya ayyuhal rasul, ballig ma unzila ilayka min rabbik. So here you are. These are obvious, stark examples. Just a few. To have you understand, and maybe I know we're probably this is a voice that is coming from the future. Many Muslims, even well-educated, enlightened Muslims, when you tell them we need to work on the hadiths of the Prophet, they are begging for our effort, for our mental capacity, for our God-given endowments of intellect. They're begging for that. They come and say, oh, you don't believe in the sunnah? What are you, this is going to destroy a, 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 a president. I don't want to mention his name. Just this past week, a president of a Muslim country, 99.9% of the population of that country, according to one survey, are Muslims. And he says... I don't know, maybe he has some context inside his own country in which there are some thinking individuals who are approaching this subject. Maybe they're approaching it in the right way, maybe in the wrong way. I don't know. But the statement of that president is that this sunnah of the Prophet is there forever, which we agree with. And those who are trying to approach this sunnah are losers. Well, approach it, what do you mean by... I don't speak the person's language. I don't know what he's getting at. But this effort has to be done. How much more division can we tolerate? How much more antagonism among ourselves that lead to war, to millions of people suffering because our inability to approach this subject with our God-given minds and hearts. In this regard, I'd like to refer those who are more interested in this subject. There is a book written by Al-Imam Az-Zarkashi, an acknowledged scholar in all probably Islamic circles. He wrote a book, a whole book, about the inconsistencies of the Sahaba when it came to quoting the Prophet. The book, for those who are interested, is called Al-Ijaba 
لإيراد ما استدركته عائشة على الصحابة And Zarkashi died in the year 794 Hijri era. Hopefully this contributed a little more in our effort to clear the air and make it easier for Muslims to act and to be as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them in the Quran and as the Prophet of Allah, because we quote the Prophet of Allah when the understanding of his quote is compatible with the meanings of the Quran. Al-Mu'minu lil-Mu'min kal-Bunyaniya shuddu ba'duhu ba'da. That's a hadith of the Prophet that fits very comfortably into the ayah, ayat that we quoted from Surah Ali Imran, around ayah 100. وَاَعْتَصِمُوا بِحَبْلِ اللَّهِ جَمِيعًا الْمُسْلِمُ أَخُوا الْمُسْلِمُ A Muslim is a brother of the other Muslim. Another hadith of the Prophet. عَلَى الْعَيْنِ As is said, in this statement we will take with our minds and with our hearts. But we will not take statements attributed to him that are contrary to the meanings of the Qur'an. أقول قولي هذا وأستغفر الله لي ولكم ودعوه سبحانه وأنتم على يقين بالإجابة وتوبوا إلى الله إن الله تواب رحيم الحمد لله الذي هدى وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا المصطفى وعلى آله وصحبه أولي النهى والتقى Dear committed brothers and dear committed sisters In the Arabian Peninsula the mistakes of history are catching up with the rulers there the deviations of the past are confronting them right now and they want a way out of it. Instead of them using their God-given mind and God-given heart to approach the subject, which is, as was mentioned at the beginning of the first khutbah, the Umawi deviation, Instead of them facing the Umawi deviation, they find an escape route. They think they find an escape route, and they want a Zionist and imperialist way out of this. So you have an inexperienced individual who has been making, after a couple of years now, has been making some rounds, speaking to the media just in this past week or two and one of the statements that he said he said that the war in Yemen is going to continue because we don't want to see the transformation of the Houthiyin into another Hezbollah now I'm going to quote his words 
الحرب في اليمن ستستمر لمنع تحول الحوثيين إلى حزب الله آخر على حدودنا الجنوبية We don't want them to become another Hezbollah on our southern borders Is this a statement that fits into Islamic his grandfather King Faisal or whatever grand uncle he always spoke about Islamic solidarity the statements that are coming out of these officials now rather should come out of Zionist and imperialist mouths what's wrong if, if they wanted to use their God-given mind, what's wrong with Hezbollah? Something wrong? It's the only power that has defeated Israel. The Zionist cancer. It's the only power in the area ever since 1947, 1948, that has soundly communicated the meanings of defeat to the Zionist colonizers of the Holy Land. And to him, they should not exist. We hope they exist all over the map in that area. Same thing that was said by this MBS, Muhammad ibn, Sulayma, ibn Salman, the same thing was said by Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority. A statement he said, and I'm quote, quoting, لا يمكن السماح لإقامة حزب الله آخر في قطاع غزة. He says, Mahmoud Abbas, the Palestinian, is supposed to have learned from the saga and the tragedy of the Palestinians in all of these years. He says, impossible. We cannot permit an establishment of a Hezbollah in the Gaza sector. They're beginning to sound alike. The prince to become king in Arabia, in Saudi Arabia, and this head of the token Palestinian authority. And the minister of war, the Zionist minister of war, is saying he's preparing, they are preparing for a coming war with Syria and Lebanon both. Of course, from there on, they want to enlarge it and to consume the whole area. That's what they're trying to work on right now. Here in Washington, this city, yesterday, the chiefs of staff of the militaries of Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, in addition to the chief of staff from the Zionist colonizers, in addition to the US representatives of the US military, we're meeting here in this city. What are they meeting for? What, what's all of this about? They like Washington coffee or they have something else on their mind. 
And the person who refused to attend these meetings, remember, those who are meeting, if we want to look at them outside their political, quote-unquote, political character, Muslims, Christians, and Jews. The chief of staff, the head of the Lebanese army, who was invited to come and attend, he came, but he did not attend. He said, I will not be in a meeting in which there's a Zionist war criminal in attendance. This is a Christian. He's not a Muslim. He has more integrity than these others who have the brass on their shoulders and all of these military recognitions on their chest. He said he refused to be with them. This Ibn Salman, in one of his interviews, I guess it may have been with one of these satellite TV stations, he said, the problems that his kingdom are suffering from today can be traced back to 1979 and his words, the Iranian revolution. He said, before that, we were a conservative, I'm paraphrasing here, we were a conservative and a moderate kingdom. But from there on, we changed. We, he says, we have to go back to where we were. How do you do that? You go back to where you were through Tel Aviv? You go back to where you were through London? You go back through Washington? Is that where you were? Notice, he doesn't even mention Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He doesn't mention the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No. He has nothing to do with them. And alhamdulillah that they are surfacing. Their true character now is coming to the fore. One of their highest religious ranking scholars in Saudi Arabia, he said, this week, he said that there's a, uh, an organization called Al-Ittihad Al-Alami Li-Ulama Al-Muslimin, the International Union of Islamic Scholars. These are basically made up of the individuals, prominent individuals in the Islamic movements and Islamic or active Islamic organizations. So this quote-unquote prominent scholar in Saudi Arabia is pointing the finger and saying the problems and the trouble and the mayhem all over the Muslim world is attributed to this union of Islamic scholars. And he goes on to say, no one in Saudi Arabia, the problems he said in the Muslim world and in the Arab world can all be traced back to this organization. And no Saudi, he says, he's trying to give advice now to his compatriots, should join any organization unless it is endorsed by his regime, by his government. 
The Saudi regime has wound, has rounded up many scholars. One of them, we mentioned him previously, Salman al-Auda. Salman al-Auda's son in social media tells the world that the family is barred from visiting the father or the uh, brother or whatever. Mr. Uh, Sheikh Salman Al-Auda. No one can visit him. What's happening to him? What's the, No one knows. Up until this point. If there is a light of hope, and only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the future, the coming together right now, if Muslims can set aside their historical friction and work in the world that they are in, we can see. It can be done. It's not an impossible thing. Iran, I'm speaking geographically. Iran, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Turkey, they can come together. We're not asking for something impossible here. If they can put their, if they can pool their resources, imagine what type of population base we would have. Imagine what type of natural resources we would have. Imagine what type of military striking power we would have. Imagine the issue of Sunni and Shia just by this mass of people coming together to arrest the issue of Sunnis and Shiites. You can go and look up the details of which each of these countries can offer to the rest. And you will find just by them coming together, that's all it takes, by them coming together, all of these plans right now that are being cooked up in Zionist and imperialist quarters will be aborted. They will never ever see the day of light. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan warzuqna tiba'ah wa arina al-baatila baatilan warzuqna ijtinaabah wa la taj'alhu multabisan alayna wa ja'alna lilmuttaqina imama Allahumma ilayka nashku dha'fa quwwatina wa qillata hilatina wa hawana ala al-nas ya arhamar rahimin أنت ربنا وأنت رب المستضعفين فإلى من تكلنا إلى غريب يتجهمنا أم إلى عدو ملكته أمرنا إن لم يكن بك علينا غضب فلا نبالي ولكن عافيتك هي أوسع لنا نعوذ بنور وجهك الذي أشرقت له الظلمات وصلح عليه أمر الدنيا والآخرة من أن تنزل بنا غضبك أو تحل علينا صخطك لك العتبة حتى ترضى ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بك اللهم صل على محمد وآل محمد اللهم صل على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم 
اللهم بارك على محمد وآل محمد اللهم بارك على إبراهيم وآل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر ومن أظلم ممن منع مساجد الله أن يذكر فيها اسمه وسعى في خرابها أولئك ما كان لهم أن يدخلوها إلا خائفين لهم في الدنيا خزي ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون وأقم الصلاة أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله 